Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. I love that phrase, decisions, decisions, but we very rarely say it out loud. We probably say it on the inside, you know, and we, it's a phrase that comes up when we have a, a, a tough choice to make. And that decision might be between two wonderful things, like, should I have this delicious chocolate cake or tiramisu? Decisions, decisions. That's a good decision to have to make. However, in life, we might find ourselves having to make more difficult decisions, decisions that, that will have a, a lasting effect on our life and maybe the life of others. They're far more serious than cake or whatever dessert you're, you're going to have. Decisions to go one way or the other. And even more so as Christians, we have this decision to make. We have a decision to go God's way or another way in our own strength. We have that choice to make. We might agonize over that decision and end up finding ourselves stuck, unable to make that decision. We find ourselves stuck in that middle place, like that photograph of the woman stuck, not sure which road to go down. In our well-known reading this morning, we find Jesus at a crossroads here in Matthew's gospel. He has a decision to make, to go one way or the other. We find him here in the garden at Gethsemane. The thing is, Gethsemane, just the, the mention of the name, brings up a variety of different images in our heads. It might be that we've seen paintings. It might be that we've been to Gethsemane and have seen it with our own eyes. It might be we've seen photographs. It might be that we've seen films. And it all brings into our head these these images of, of the, the prayer that Jesus is praying, the agony that he's going through, and of course, the betrayal of Judas. But the thing is, Gethsemane is actually a very beautiful place, very peaceful. And as I say, when I visited there, there were about eight of the, the olive trees that are down in there would have been more than a century old while Jesus was there. They've been there that long. But it's no coincidence that Jesus chooses to go there. We read in Luke's gospel at chapter 22. 
he, meaning Jesus, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Being in the Garden of Gethsemane was not something unusual for Jesus. We read that it was his custom to go to the Mount of Olives. Obviously, when he was in Jerusalem, this is where he usually went to pray. So when Judas went away to betray him, Jesus knew just where to go. As was his custom, he went to the garden at Gethsemane. But the thing is, Gethsemane also means olive press. Olive press. It's a place where the olives were crushed so that their oil would come out. It would also be the place where we see Jesus' spirit absolutely crushed. Ready to be poured out to God. In our reading, we read that he tells eight of his disciples to wait and keep watch, and three to go on with him. The three are Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James. These are the three closest disciples to him, the inner circle. You might remember back in October when I spoke about coming off the mountain. It's these three men that go with Jesus. It's these three men that encounter that amazing transfiguration where Jesus is glowing and Elijah and Moses are there. These three men were his closest confidants, Peter, James, and John. And it's them that he wants to have close by in his time of real struggle. It's these three men that he trusts to keep watch while he's praying. So as beautiful a place as it is, Gethsemane for Jesus is the backdrop of a time of real pain and agony. Verse 38 tells us that he said to Peter, James, and John that I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. It was a time of of intense feeling and agony for Jesus because he knew what the next day would have in store for him. He knew what was coming. He knew about the illegal trials. He knew about the whip. He knew about the crown of thorns. And of course, he knew about the cross. There is absolutely no doubt that Jesus was struggling here. These mental images would have been flooding over him, able to see what was about to happen to him. In chapter 18 of John's Gospel, we read that when Jesus leaves the upper room with his disciples after that Last Supper, 
as they're, way, as they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, they cross the, the Kidron Valley. And in that valley was a stream called the Brook of Kidron. And that flowed down from the Temple Mount. And on that day, as they were walking to Gethsemane, as they cross through there, we need to remember that they've just had what we call the Last Supper. But to them, it was Passover. Their annual celebration of Passover. And of course, with Passover, thousands of lambs would have been slaughtered as sacrifices up on the temple for the sins of the people. And the blood of those lambs would have flown into that water and down through into the Kidron Valley. The brook would have been red as they were crossing it. That is a very gruesome thing. But to the disciples and Jesus, as they walked past, it wouldn't have been the first time they would have seen it. To the disciples, it's probably not all that poignant, but to Jesus, but to Jesus, the Lamb of God, as he crossed that brook, he must have known that tomorrow it will be my blood that flows. A tough decision needed to be made. He could run right now. As he's confronted with what he sees in the river, the reminder of what is about to happen, he could run. He would have had a good head start on the soldiers. Judas has just went. Or he could continue on the path that he'd been on for the three years leading up to this point. As we continue on reading in verse 39, we see that for Jesus, Gethsemane, although this backdrop to great agony, was also a place of submission and surrender. Verse 39 says, And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Jesus completely submitted himself to God's will. Jesus is saying if there is another way, some other thing that can, can be done, then please do it. However, if there's not, then I am yours. And sometimes we come to God in prayer and we might say, God, this is what I think should happen. And we should be feel, feel free to, to speak to God in those ways. However, because our Heavenly Father is a good Father and He knows what's best for us, He might not always give us what we want. We might not understand it at the time, but the thing that we're asking for might not necessarily be the thing that we're supposed to ask for. Jesus, of course, knew exactly what was happening. Betrayal, 
denial, torture, and even death. So he prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Jesus surrenders himself to the father. He knows that ultimately it will be the right thing to do. But not only is Gethsemane a place of surrender to God, this garden for Jesus was also a place of patience and understanding. In verses 40 and 41, Jesus returns to his trusted three and he finds them sleeping. He says to Peter, so could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you might not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now I have to admit, I have a lot of sympathy for the disciples. It's been a very, very busy week and an emotional week for them. If we think to that triumphal entry that we mark and celebrate at Palm Sunday, Jesus coming into the, the city with the palms being waved and the hosannas and the, the cheers, the emotion of that. And then just a few days later, the, the turning of the tables and the cleansing of the, the temple and, of course, the big conflict with the religious leaders because of that. They also have had this Passover meal in the upper room. Hugely emotional experience. As Jesus tells them again that he would be betrayed, that he was going to die, and it would be one of them that would betray them. And then they walk down over the, the hill, over the brook of Kedron, and they find themselves in Gethsemane. And by then, it was probably well after midnight. They're tired. I believe that they desperately would have wanted to have done what Jesus asked of them. That if they had the strength, they would have done so. They would have stayed awake. But they fell asleep. They're human beings. But when Jesus comes back to them, we see his patience and his understanding. He doesn't rebuke them. doesn't shout at them. He just gently reminded them of what they were supposed to be doing. Stay awake. And a huge reminder that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It needs a savior. And as an aside to this, one of the many benefits of prayer as Christians is that we should become more patient with one another. You know, if we're not patient with each other, then we're maybe not praying in the ways that we should be. We need to seek to be more patient in our own lives and with other people. Just as Jesus has shown during his time here in Gethsemane. We read that this pattern of prayer and finding the disciples sleeping 
is repeated at least twice more. Matthew writes down that it happens uh, twice. But that's not to say that it didn't happen more than that. But Jesus doesn't stop. He gives them numerous chances, but the sleep is taken over. You can probably imagine him getting quite disappointed at this. As every time he comes back, he sees them sleeping. But he doesn't stop and he continues to pray. I love the closing to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. That reminds us that we need to be persistent in our prayers. Never giving up. Coming back again and again to God in prayer. Seeking His will for our lives. And we sometimes think that we need to maybe be saying something different in our prayers. That there should be variety. That there should be something different every time we speak to God. That God might get bored of us whittling on about the same thing over and over and over. But we see Jesus prayed the same prayer at least three times. You see, if prayer is going to be the source of power that I spoke about last week, if it's going to be the source of power in our lives and in our church, then it's perfectly okay to have repetition. And what about our Gethsemane moments? It's in Gethsemane where Jesus prepared himself to do God's will and prepare himself for the cross. And that really got me to thinking that we too should have our Gethsemane moment. That when we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, that we're called to do God's will and take up our cross in sacrifice to our old selves and become the new creations in Christ that we were called to be. And that's not something that we can take lightly. That's a big decision with more big decisions that need to be made as we go through our lives. It's not a one and done thing. Gethsemane is where Jesus said, Father, not what I want, but what you want. We too need to pray a Gethsemane statement like that. A place where God can fill us up to do his will. A place where we can say to God, not in my own strength, but in your strength, I can carry out what you've called me to be and do for the kingdom. Not only with my abilities or talents, but walking in the power of your Holy Spirit. While we should be encouraged by the falling case numbers of COVID and the ever, slow, ever so slow movement from pandemic to endemic. These are still very stressful times 
for everyone. I would urge you, as I always urge myself, to have our own Garden of Gethsemane moment. That we would have that moment with God regularly. That we would say, not what I want, but what you want. I would urge you to do that this week. And that might be the first time you've ever prayed that kind of prayer. Or it might be the umpteenth time that you've prayed that prayer. That you are willing to surrender to God's will. However, it's important that we all get ourselves to that place where we can not only recognize but admit to God that we are not strong enough or wise enough to do what God has called us to do, all in our own strength. That we can only do it as we realize His strength, His guidance, and His blessings in our lives. And if you take anything away from this morning, let it be this. Effective emergency prayer that we see Jesus here at the moment. Effective emergency prayer should always be preceded by regular daily prayer. Effective emergency prayer should be preceded by regular daily prayer. The Bible says that Jesus often prayed all night. He would often go up into the mountains to pray. In fact, as I wrote my piece for the magazine that's coming in, I was reflecting on Sabbath rest. Living from that place of resting in God. It was Jesus' custom to go off and spend time in God's presence regularly. He was constantly in that attitude of prayer. So when the emergency arose, when this thing happened, when the cross was before him, as he's broken in Gethsemane, Jesus was able to handle it because he had a regular prayer life that when the emergency hit, he was already in that place. He knew what to do. And we need to be in that place of hearing God's voice and Him hearing ours. So every day, let Him hear your voice. Then when emergencies arise, when a crisis comes, you know who to go to. You can seek God's will. And the second thing is, that prayer strengthens us to face our difficulties more than it changes our circumstances. I'll read that again. Prayer strengthens us to face our difficulties more than it changes our circumstances. You see, sometimes prayer does change circumstances. Sometimes we see people completely healed who were given no chance but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we see situations in life changed because we prayed about them. 
but sometimes we don't. God gives us strength to face difficulties far more than our circumstances change. We might not always understand why God acts or doesn't act in certain situations, but we can hold on to the knowledge that throughout it all, his strength can carry us on and it is available to each and every one of us. When the Apostle Paul prayed to say that the thorn would be removed from his flesh, God says, no, you'll keep that thorn in your flesh, but I'll give you the strength that you need to carry on. And Paul proclaimed that, that God's grace was sufficient for him. When Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me, God said, no, this is part of the plan. But I'll give you the strength to face the cross. God says that to us too. I'll give you the strength. Our circumstances might not always change, will always offer us the strength to face the difficulties that we encounter. So let us renew that commitment to God this morning that Stone Law would be a church who pray regularly to our Heavenly Father who loves us. And let each and every one of us say, Father, I know that you will give me the strength, so not what I want, but what you want. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that. We pray not what we want, but what you want. Life can be hard at times. We can't always understand why our circumstances don't seem to be changing. But we are so thankful that you give us the strength to pass through them. If only we would ask. So, Father, we renew our commitment as individuals and as a church. And we pray that prayer again. Not what I want, but what you want. Lord, strengthen us and help us as we seek to do your will, not in our own strength, but in yours. All this we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.